This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. Welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and today we're going to be talking about curriculum materials that teachers can use for their teacher study groups or that teacher leaders could use if they're working with teachers. And the materials are going to be focusing on the discourse in secondary mathematics classrooms, middle school and high school classrooms. Um, some materials to help you think about the discussions and the ways that students are talking and communicating in mathematics. So to talk with me about that is uh, Beth Herbel Eisenman, who's a full professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Michigan State University, and she was my major advisor. Beth, thanks for being here. Thanks for asking me to come. And Michelle Cirillo, who's an associate professor in the Department of Mathematical Sciences at the University of Delaware. Michelle, thanks for being here too. Happy to be here, Sam. And in full disclosure, I have to say that I actually am also part of the writing team that wrote these materials. This is Mathematics Discourse in Secondary Classrooms. And it's a forthcoming set of professional development materials from Math Solutions. Others on the team, we should say too, Michael Steele, one of the leaders of the team with um, you two, who couldn't be here today, unfortunately, and Kate Johnson, uh, and then also a lot of doctoral students um, from Delaware and from Michigan State. So a team that worked on this for years putting it together. But let me go to Beth for the origin of MDISC, Mathematics Discourse in Secondary Classrooms. Where did the idea for creating professional development materials like this come from? So I had had a five-year collaboration with teachers in Iowa and Michelle was a primary research associate with me on that. And the things that we learned from those teachers and the data that we collected from them, we thought would be very useful and generative for other teachers to be able to think about the kinds of things those teachers had thought about over a period of time and including different ways to be purposeful about how they change their classroom discourse. Mm -hmm. And you wrote some things, uh, a lot of things, about the discourse that you were seeing in those classrooms, but did you find that there weren't really materials that focused on discourse or that maybe focused at discourse at the high school level or secondary level? Yeah, it seemed like there were a lot of materials available for elementary focused on math classroom discourse and that there were other things that were about things like high cognitive demand tasks, but there was really nothing that was specific to supporting teachers to think about opening up their discourse practices in ways that supported students to participate in increasingly complex ways. Mm -hmm. And I think too at the secondary level a lot of the PD materials are very content focused where it's like let's help the teachers really understand this aspect of mathematics and yeah. develop their PCK and maybe give them some strategies for problems to use with students but this one's more holistic about like what kinds of communication do you want happening in your secondary classroom. Definitely. So you had worked for years on this discourse. What were some of the big ideas that became kind of a driving intellectual thread through the materials? In the work in Iowa, the teachers sort of came to consensus that there was a group of discourse moves that they thought were useful, which we later found out were very similar to the talk moves that um, Chapin Anderson and O'Connor had published in a book toward the end of that work. So what we did was take those and modify them to offer those particular tools. We call them the teacher discourse moves that rather than closing down classroom discourse like the initiate, respond, evaluate pattern does that's really pervasive, it provided more space for students to participate. But when we started to use them with teachers, we found out they wanted some sort of criteria for thinking about what happened when they used them. So we augmented the teacher discourse moves with two sort of conceptual lenses 
for lack of a better way to describe them. So every time they use them, we want them to think about whether the classroom discourse is productive. And what we mean by that is, am I supporting students to use language in ways that both support their meaning making while helping develop their facility with mathematical classroom discourse practices? Um, and then the other piece is every time we communicate with kids, we're also negotiating relationships with them. That's a core idea from systemic functional linguistics, which is the theory of language that we draw on. So they're also thinking about whether the classroom discourse is powerful or not. So when I interact with kids, how am I positioning them? How are they positioning themselves and what can I do to support assigning competence if we want to use the idea from complex instruction or um, developing productive learning identities in relationship to mathematics. And then I would, I would add just being really purposeful in the sense that we can even not just plan our tasks and plan our classroom activities, but be very purposeful and plan our discourse, plan our questions, plan the way that we, ways that we may think that we can position students as competent during class. Mm-hmm. So productive, powerful, purposeful, the three P's, I kind of go through the materials overall. Well, and I think the other piece about purposeful is so most people learn to participate by participating in things, and because teachers have participated in particular discourse practices through their K-16 experience, there are some things like the initiate, respond, evaluate pattern that feel very normal and common sense. And so being able to step outside of that and really think about alternatives isn't something that just happens. You have to be intentional about it. So the purposefulness involves offering some tools to teachers, but then allowing them to take them up in ways that make sense and then eventually study in their own practice when they engage in action research. Mm-hmm. I'll put a link in the show notes to the uh, teacher discourse moves because we've written about that as a group before. So people can already find those ideas, but now putting it into the context of professional development curriculum can really help teachers feel confident using them, being purposeful about how they're using them. And I'm thinking of a kind of example of how to use those three lenses to look at your use of teacher discourse moves. Like waiting, or what some people might call wait time, is one of the teacher discourse moves. But you know, it's not just waiting randomly. It's uh, I have a reason that I'm going to wait. I'm waiting right now because I want students to be thinking about a mathematical idea or question. So that is mathematically productive to let them kind of mull that over. And it's also empowering because I'm trying to actually give more students access to the idea and sort of give them all a chance to think about it. So I'm being productive, powerful, and purposeful about my use of that move. And then after the waiting, I might elicit the idea or I might connect it to something else. And so that is also being purposeful to try to really make a mathematical point or to empower students to be the ones who are sharing ideas and listening to each other's ideas. It's kind of example of how you can really not just give these tools of the teacher's discourse moves and go, you know, say, here, go, use them, <laughs> try them out randomly. It's like, no, we have a framework that we're developing to really think about what you're gaining by using the teacher discourse moves and putting it in the broader context of your planning overall. Like yeah. you're, you're really kind of shifting your approach to your classroom into really thinking about getting that communication to happen. Yep. Yeah. So that's a lot of ideas to tackle, and I can imagine a lot of different ways of trying to lay that out in professional development. So how did you actually structure the professional development experience? So the materials are organized as constellations, and we think of these as a set of ideas that hang together. 
um, similar to the way we look out at the big sky and we see these clusters of stars. And so we have this introductory constellation to kick things off and to build some community within the group that you are facilitating the materials with. And then we have five constellations that um, begin with, for example, engaging students in mathematics classroom discourse and then understanding our teacher discourse moves and positioning. Then three follow-up constellations that are about planning and and actually carrying these ideas out. The materials are organized to be facilitated across about 36 hours of time and then there's also an action research component that can be done as a as a follow-up in addition. We see them as materials that could be useful for teacher education as well as for in-service teacher learning. Mm-hmm. So after they do this sort of study group time, and we've had people use some of the activities in their methods courses, as Michelle was saying, for um, pre-service teachers, then there's a capstone experience where the teachers are supported to pick a focus and um, design a cycle of action research. And ideally, they would have at least two years to engage in action research because we've sort of found that it takes a good three to four months for teachers who haven't done that before to really understand what it means to collect and analyze data in their classroom and use that to inform their practice. And throughout the materials, we also connected to um, their practice. Even during the five constellations, we have these connecting to practice activities that are woven throughout. And then we also have videos and transcripts and authentic artifacts. Like uh, we could draw from your previous study in Iowa, uh, at Iowa State. So there's that elements of kind of being very practiced based. So even though there are these big ideas that are from research that you're using, it's, it's really grounded. Tr- yeah, it's yeah. grounded in yeah. teaching practice all the way along. I wonder if you say a little bit more about the videos or about the connecting to practice that are woven through. So I think the connecting to practice, we offer a range of choices within each of the constellations, but the goal is really to start getting teachers to notice things about their classroom discourse that maybe they hadn't before. So for example, when kids communicate in small groups, you're gonna hear different kinds of discourse practices because you can point to things, you can say this and that, and the whole, the small group all knows what you're talking about. But when you ask a student to report out, there's a slight shift in how they use language because everybody else in the class wasn't part of that experience. So the audience is slightly removed from the context. So getting teachers to start notice Mm -hmm. these differences um, and then think about how to scaffold students' facility moving in and out of these different sorts of communication contexts. Mm -hmm. And most of them don't notice those things prior to some of these PD materials. So we ask them to collect some data on a small scale with each of these connecting to practice activities. So they might record a segment of themselves teaching and then uh, analyze it through the lenses that we've provided in the materials of are they using the IRE discourse pattern? Are they already using the teacher discourse moves in any ways? And if so, how? Uh, once they learn them, they they can examine how they're using them and in what ways were they productive and or powerful or not. They might give their students a survey about um, or, or interview them to understand how they feel about participating in, in math class and in the discussions. And so there's lots of choices in the materials for the facilitator as well as for the classroom teachers. And then these things very greatly can inform what they might decide to do uh, as part of their action research projects. 
I'm speaking with Beth Herbleisman and Michelle Cirillo about the uh, professional development curriculum called Mathematics, Discourse, and Secondary Classrooms, or MDISC as we call it. Um, and I want to get into a little bit of the details just as an illustration. So I want to ask you, what's one of the favorite activities that you have? So you talked kind of about the constellations overall, but if we want go into one of those stars, <laughs> one of the activities, what's one that, that sticks out to you? So in the introduction and the first two constellations, we really introduce all the core ideas and then we just sort of keep revisiting them in different ways. Um, so in the first constellation, one of the goals is to support teachers to understand aspects of classroom discourse, but also the most formalized version of mathematical discourse, which some people have called the math register. Mm -hmm. And I'm not gonna get into as much detail about that, but one of the activities that we have helps earlier when I said in small group versus whole class that mm -hmm. the discourse practices shift because of the context. Mm -hmm. We have an activity that we do where we introduce teachers to this idea of language spectrum. They work on a task and then we have sets of student work that illustrate different ways students might communicate in math classrooms in two different solution types. And then one of the goals of it is to think about what is the range of ways that you see students using language and diagrams to communicate their thinking. Mm -hmm. So some of them are transcripts of students working in small groups and some of them we've handwritten textbook versions of the task so they can see sort of a range of ways that, that people communicate and textbook communicate in a math classroom. So by the end of that activity, one of the things that comes out is that when students communicate in small groups versus report out to the whole class versus have to write up a solution of their own versus the text that they are exposed to either in the curriculum materials or handouts that the teacher gives are all slightly different language demands and types of texts that occur in a math classroom. Mm -hmm. Because students need to use less formalized language when they're trying to make meaning for mathematical ideas, mm -hmm. but they have to also be able to name and be explicit about those things when they're actually writing them up. Mm -hmm. So. The idea of a language spectrum thinks about how language shifts and changes over time and students need to be put in those different communication contexts consistently throughout the school year because they don't actually gain facility if they're just sitting passively and taking notes, for example. Or So it's important that teachers, that they have kids working in small groups, that they're intentional about having kids describe what they're doing and why to the whole class, that they support them to learn to write and that they support them to understand these mathematical texts that we hand out. Mm -hmm. So the activity itself ends up, they end up coming to the conclusion of the different ways these communication contexts support different kinds of language practices. Mm -hmm. And then the goal is not just, oh, we're always moving kids towards the most, most formal, most sophisticated, like written kind of text. It's like, we want students to have opportunities to use language like that, to write formal mathematics uh, and to write down their ideas explicitly. But the movement is not entirely towards that direction. It's actually that we want students to have all those experiences. Consistently. Yeah, right. Talk informally with people where you're making sense of the mathematics, you're pointing, you're using other kinds of words, have experience reporting out to other people, and have experience writing it down. And it's really about moving all the way across that spectrum. Yep. And noticing, for example, if a student is writing up things like you would expect them to be talking in small group, that mm -hmm. that might be somebody that I need to provide more support to make explicit what the written text should look like. Oh yeah, and probably a lot of teachers have had that experience, like a, a student has written down something and turned it in, but they've written down an informal way that they would say it to a friend instead yep. of writing it in. So they're not realizing that there's actually a shift in language when you start to write it down. Yeah, they 
they often will use informally and even in their writing they'll use uh, vague pronouns or references so they'll say it or that or this mm -hmm. and it will be unclear yeah what what they're referencing yeah I took this and it went to that and I did it over there mm -hmm. so it's just like when you're talking that might have made sense but when you're writing it that's very confusing huh? mm -hmm. right so we purposefully used the term language spectrum because in the same way that a light spectrum has all the different colors of light and none of them are better or worse they're mm -hmm. all they're all needed right mm -hmm. and so the language spectrum is sort of an analogy of that of thinking about how all these different ways of, of communicating in math classrooms are really necessary and it isn't really that one is better than the other they all serve different purposes for supporting students gaining facility with mathematical discourse practices mm -hmm. and this is all the idea of productive that really is mm -hmm. an activity that supports teachers along that path of understanding what productive discourse might be. Mm -hmm. And making it explicit to students might also empower them because the students might have felt like, I'm not quite sure what's happening. Like I'm getting marked down for the way that I'm writing this up or something and they might not know, it might not be explicit to them that there are these shifts in language demands. Yep. So it might be empowering to actually help students know the game that they're playing. Like they're, it actually is shifting. Like the way that you're saying it or have to communicate it does shift and like, like now we just need to all sort of get better at all of it. Yep. Yeah. Michelle, did you have a, an activity that really sticks out to you? Sure. So similar to what Beth described, we have in these beginning constellations just really building up the ideas. And so one of the things that's in the second constellation, uh, which we, we really make this contrast between in one, within one lesson using IRE, that's the more sort of closed discourse. Then later on in the lesson, the teacher uses much more open discourse and we have the participants, rather than watch a video of this, they actually read aloud the transcript so they can feel what it is like to participate in those kinds of different conversations. And similar to the language spectrum, we don't portray that this, you know, IRE is all bad and these, you know, use of the teacher discourse moves more open discourse is all good we want the participants to really n notice it and pay attention and and help them to you know start being really purposeful about when it makes sense to use one or the other mm -hmm. and within that constellation as with all of them we have a really nice rich math task and in this that particular constellation we have something about uh, the triangle congruence conditions an mm -hmm. activity that was inspired by and I'd say uh, co-developed with one of the Iowa teachers and mm -hmm. so that's a, a task that every teacher I've ever encountered whether they were a pre-service teacher or whether they were a, a veteran teacher who's been teaching secondary geometry for 20 years always learns some math content through mm -hmm. that activity which is really great and I think a lot of our tasks are very much a low entry high ceiling kinds of tasks and then they uh, engage with the discourse ideas with these tasks as the anchor. So they do the mathematics and then they can you know, get that out of the way, learn some mathematics, but then think about the, the discourse, the teacher discourse moves or the language spectrum with the tasks in mind in, in context through this written or video case. Mm -hmm. I've actually used that hidden triangles task with my undergraduate students and mm -hmm. it leads to good discussions, <laughs> yeah, which is yeah, definitely right. part of the point of having mm -hmm. in the materials. Right, and another aspect of that constellation would be that through thinking about and reading aloud the, the aspect of the case where the teacher discourse moves are, are being used, we really, um, that we really can see 
how students get get positioned by one another can be positioned by the teacher or even by the mathematical task or the, the thing that the activity that they're engaging in at the time and that is related to the to the powerful aspect of discourse and we've found that engaging with those ideas has been really very very powerful for teachers because they're things that teachers say I care about this I care about these things I, I these are things I want to work on and I never you know, had a, had a a vehicle to help me to you know, to think about them and you know grow in, in my practice around these ideas, and so it, it takes on a bit of a different flavor than lots of other PD experiences that they've had. Yeah, I do think like the teachers that I've worked with pay attention to things like who the popular kids are, mm-hmm. but that some of the teachers that I've worked with haven't noticed as much how those very subtle things play out in terms of who's seen as sort of smart in their math classrooms or not. And this idea of positioning really has them grappling with all these different things that happen in the math class and how they have implications over a period of time for students' identity development in relationship to math. Mm-hmm. So both of you have had a chance to enact these materials with teachers. And so if some of the listeners are either teachers who might you know, end up using this in their professional learning community or teacher leaders that might be using this as a PD curriculum or teacher educators that might use it in classes, what might they expect to see at the other end of it? Like once they've gone through these materials and then the teachers are back in their classroom and they're teaching, what would you look for? What would you kind of hope to see or what have you seen in uh, classrooms of teachers that you have used this? So we should mention that these have been piloted five to eight times and revised over time. So they are sort of research-based in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the pilots that I've been involved in, we've just entered year six of our collaboration and the teachers did the study group at the beginning and then as every district, some people go to other schools or whatever, but it's been sort of an ebb and flow. And I would say that probably some of the biggest differences we've seen, so all of the teachers felt like they were already probing, waiting, and revoicing. Those three tend to be the ones that most teachers already think are already doing, and then they work on becoming purposeful. But they found that the other two, asking students to revoice and creating opportunities to engage with another's reasoning, that those two are the much harder ones to do. But over time, setting up the kinds of classroom norms that you need, and those kinds of things. Like I've seen dramatic from kids in their classrooms being almost completely silent and the teacher apologizing that it was a noisy class if the kids are talking some to like in a 10 minute video seeing five different solutions come up one student saying oh when I did this as homework last night I made a mistake and now because of what so-and-so said I understand this or I disagree with what that person's doing some people who have watched some of the videos with me are surprised by how it's still somewhat mediated by the teacher, Mm -hmm. but the students, the length of student contribution and the quality of that has changed dramatically in the five years, where Mm -hmm. a student not only says what they did, why they did it, they talk about how it relates to what someone else did in the class. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing like two to five minute, like students participating rather than one word answers. Mm -hmm. And very different support for students writing like a lot of the teachers had never thought about because they just did it right when we were students we sort of subtly picked up how to write up these solutions and being much more purposeful to get support students in learning to write about mathematics has been another pretty big change that we've seen Mm -hmm. so it's a pretty i mean the teachers two of the teachers have been teaching 27 to 30 years 
and they like want to teach another 10 years because it's getting them to see kids in a completely different light Mm -hmm. doing things that they didn't even know they could do Mm -hmm. and they've gone with me to present at regional nctm and national nctm too Mm -hmm. to sort of share some of the things that they've learned yeah it's hard work to do a discussion-based kind of math class but it is really exciting teaching Mm -hmm. because you do see so many student ideas and that's really fun actually yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. so it's a very dramatic it's a big difference that we've seen in the classrooms one of the things that we've seen in the professional development work with teachers on classroom discourse over the the long term for the two projects has been the teachers very often if they're not already already using problem-based materials or a rich you know highly high cognitive demand tasks they they recognize very quickly that I need something different I need more interesting tasks I need better curriculum materials they mm-hmm. say I want to have interesting discussions in my classroom and so clearly I need to give students something interesting to discuss Mm -hmm. and the things that I'm using right now the textbook or the materials I'm using are not are not getting me there so Mm -hmm. it's been a really interesting thing that we've seen over and over and over Mm -hmm. happen sort of a a backdoor kind of Mm -hmm. recognition of the importance of tasks and curriculum materials that aren't front and center in the materials but that Mm -hmm. that has come out over and over and over again with all Mm -hmm. the different groups that we've worked with. So speaking as a co-author, I think we're all excited to see these finally coming out because we've been using them and working on them for years, but now they can be, um, we don't have to kind of backdoor share them with friends. We can actually have them available for anybody who wants to use them. They're going to be coming from Math Solutions this fall. We don't have an exact date, but they're coming very soon. Any day now, we expect. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and feel free to contact any of us um, if you have questions about it, if you want to follow up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I would like to add that we do, what, what we, the way the materials are organized that I think we didn't say earlier was that we have this whole set of participant materials and then there's a, a complete facilitation guide. So just like a really great set of curriculum materials for students, we are offering these things for teacher educators and professional developers that the support is there. Everything mm-hmm. is sort of fully packaged with the video, with the participant materials to work through and with the yeah. facilitation support. Yeah, so if what people could expect is if they if they buy the MDISC package, they get their facilitator materials, they get electronic versions of everything they're gonna need, they get the videos, they get and they can use that for with as many participants as right, they want to. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's really exciting. Um, can't wait to see it in my hand. <laughs> that will be really fun. Um, but let me go back now, just for a final question. So a lot of people in the field might have seen the names Herbalizamin and Cirillo next to each other in various ways on different articles and book chapters and books and everything. But um, your Friendship and collaboration actually goes back even farther than people might be aware. So where where did you two actually meet and where did the partnership kind of start? So Beth and I actually went through our master's degree program back in the 90s. <laughs> in uh, mathematics. In, right, in a, in a math department in, um, at Northern, Northern Arizona University. So uh, we've, we've been friends for 20, 20 years, more than 20 years. <laughs> and... Uh, at the time, Beth had already been a, had some classroom teaching experience. I had just been just out of undergrad, so I went back to New York and and taught for eight years. And then, it, very serendipitously, actually, I was ready to go back to grad school. I was trying to hunt 
Beth down on the <laughs> Google, I think, wasn't around yet. And so I was trying to track her down through some old search engine. And then she happened to call me while in the midst of this search and said, hey, I got this grant. And are you ready to come back to school? And I, and I was. And so so I moved to Iowa. That was <laughs> to, Iowa to work State. With yeah. Beth, yeah. Right. Iowa State. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, just really had a great experience working with her, collaborating with her on, on her career grant. And... Uh, then we we sought the the funding for the continuation of it together as colleagues again mm-hmm. so how did you find Michelle's phone number then without Google or did you or did you I, I don't remember. you had not, you had kept my parents phone number oh right because I was always moving yeah <laughs> so you always were able to so, touch base with them and get the number from them yeah yeah luckily the parents didn't move yeah so. actually actually what happened was i thought it was beth had um called me and i said hey i just finally figured out how to get in touch with you because you were because i was reading a mathematics teacher, teacher on a friday night <laughs> <laughs> and beth said if you're reading math journals on friday night you should, you should be in grad, grad school, school. That's <laughs> clear sign yeah <laughs> Now it has worked out well. I was also glad to join in at Mich- once Beth came to Michigan State. That was where we got linked up, and uh, that was I'm really glad to be part of the team. And it's been a lot of fun working on it. And it's going to be fun to hear from people who are start using this now and hear how yeah. it goes with them and what they start mm-hmm. seeing from it. So, yeah, we've already had some uh, queries about it at this at this conference here. So we're uh, excited to get it out there. Right. Super excited. Well, congratulations on the all the hard work, and uh, definitely looking for the next things, what's going to come next. So it's all, all a progression that's been building for years and still going into the future, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having us on. Thank you. for listening to the math ed podcast this was the 99th episode which means later this month we'll be celebrating the 100th episode of the podcast and i want to invite you to participate in that 100th episode i'm asking for people to identify an article or a book in math education that has been very meaningful or inspirational to you and if you can record yourself for about two to three or maybe four minutes introducing yourself, introduce the resource that is really meaningful, and then tell us why it's meaningful or how it has inspired you or changed the way that you think about or participate in mathematics education. So please record those. I want to hear from you. And you can send those to my email address, ottensa at missouri.edu. That's ottensa at missouri.edu. And I was asking for them by October 10th, but really October 13th looks like that's going to be fine. So if you can get those to me by the end of the week, October 13th, I will include that in the 100th episode.